Greetings, Minecrafters, and welcome to another exciting Minecraft discussion on all things well-being. My name is Dr. Kimberly Quinn, and I am here today with Professor Warren Sides. I believe this is our fifth episode of the Champlain College Signature Series. And uh, first of all, I'd like to welcome you, Warren. Thanks for having me. And it's okay if I call you Warren. Absolutely. Especially since I just asked you first. <laughs> uh, okay, Warren, so if you could uh, please start us off with telling us um, how long you've been here at Champlain and what your role is. Sure. Um, so I've been here about 15 years uh, teaching math. Um, for most of that time, about 10 of those years, I was an adjunct. Uh, and then I moved up to the full-time faculty position. So I'm one of the three full-time math faculty here at Champlain College. Um, and yeah, I just, I teach all things math. Uh, my history is a little bit more pure mathematics, but we, we have an applied bend here. So I use that foundation of theory to help students apply the math. Uh, and I've had the honor of teaching the introduction to statistics classes here. So, uh, I get a nice cross section of students, uh, some with a little bit of math background, some with math phobias, uh, but I try to sort of meet them where they're at and, and help them with their math journey. Okay. So Warren, excellent. I, I have to say, I really enjoyed your presentation recently and I was so moved by how you're able to incorporate you know humor and well-being into a math class you know because math is such a stigma for the rest of us regular people yeah. and you did such an amazing job so maybe um I also know you've done some research and 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 you were telling me about it earlier about bringing well-being into the classroom or something yeah so uh, exactly what you mentioned you know the math classroom is sort of a place for, for for stress for a lot of students and i you know it's hard to perform in a situation where you're feeling stressful so i did research into the effects of well-being um different metrics for well-being and on academic uh success and you know the research is out there it's pretty easy to find it'll show you that students who are dealing with higher levels of stress are, are also doing a little bit uh worse in school um and they're having trouble keeping deadlines they're having trouble keeping up with material um, and, you know, a lot of different things go into what, you know, what we would call well-being. Uh, but I, I decided to focus more on sort of like self-reported happiness. Like, do you feel like joyful in your life? Do you have like positive feelings and seeing sort of how that related to the student experience? Uh, so, yeah, so just trying to make sure that I, on my own end, the research that I understand what factors might affect a student's ability to learn, not even the discipline, uh, and then seeing how I might be able to bring that awareness to the classroom to increase sort of the academic standing of the students based on where they're at in sort of happiness. Oh, this sounds really good, Warren. I, I also, I, I heard you talking about um, different factors, you know, leading, you know, leading sort of to students' levels of unhappiness, like spectrum, right? Like right. unhappiness all the way to happiness. Do you think you can tell us maybe like what factors maybe played a role in that? Yeah, absolutely. So so some of the things, I mean, in the literature and the research that I had done, there were some obvious like demographics, uh, um, you know, students that are from a minority group typically have more stressors and that affects them. Gender also, depending on the discipline, um, I teach in the information technology and sciences division. And so female identifying students often have a little bit more of a, a difficult time because it's like a boys club, right? Um uh, other factors that go into it is support groups in general, like um, something that I ask my students in projects about happiness is if, if how their relationship with friends were this week, um, if any. Uh, and also uh, something that I found interesting, and, and this is this hits a little bit personally, but having that um, 
authority figure that you're sort of friendly with, right? even if it's just one person that you can talk to throughout, I'll use college as a throughout your college career does a lot for a student. So some of the factors that I was looking at um, when I started like digging into it were, uh, you know, demographic information, gender, race, it's uh, age, um, what the sort of historical information, what their family life was like, if their family had gone to college. So that's preparedness for, um, and then what their support network look like here on campus. Is there a person that they talk to? Are there people that they talk to? Um, and also, I guess I should mention like other outside uh, factors like jobs um, or uh, um, health, illness in general. Um, so those are all factors that I sort of considered that might affect a student's uh, well-being in the classroom. Wow. Okay, Warren. You know, and it, you know, like the, the buzzword I heard from from what you were just saying was relationships. And this is, I have to just chuckle because you know. Us regular people, I like to tease Warren because he's a math brainy, right? Um, to be able to talk about relationships and creating this bond in college, uh, possibly from first year through being a senior, but as a as the math guy, this is awesome. Can you tell right. us more about it? Yeah. Um, so I think that, you know, it's funny that you put it that way. That's kind of the motivation for me. I'm all about breaking stereotypes, breaking perceptions, right? And I come in as a math professor and be like, oh, math professor, stuffy math professor is going to be hard, going to be rigid. And I try to break that. I open up the students and, and, I, and I think I do a pretty good job on day one. But something else that I do with my students is in addition to office hours where they can come visit me to ask academic questions and get help with schoolwork, I also open up social hours. So an hour or two every week that's designated time where students could just stop by and hang out. Um, and, you know, I, I do I, I do a pretty good job, I think, feeding that by telling people in, in class what I'm interested in and dropping interesting topics. I was like, well, if you want to pursue that more, come hang out with me in social hours. Um, and it's amazing the success that I've had with this. Um, I, you know, my tiny little office, which probably holds like two or three people, I've had standing room only, you know, um, there's seven people wanting to hang out in my office, playing games, chatting, little different groups. It was like a party, right? Like some people were looking at videos together. Some people were working on my whiteboard to show me some cool math thing that they knew. Um, but building that relationship is, is really important, I think, um, for both the students and for me, you know, I'm learning from my students what what the trends are and what's what's interesting to them, uh, and they're learning how to sort of model that behavior of of, of interacting with someone. And uh, and yeah, so I've had students go through all four years, and every year they come back and say, "When are your office hours? And when can we hang out?" And um, it's just great. And I will chuckle just like you, like who's waiting at the door of their math professor to to hang out, not to ask math questions, right? Like, no, I know what I'm doing. I just want to see what you're up to and hang out. So yeah, so building that relationship. And I think that then um, I will add that I think it does trickle down in the classroom. So the students that come to social hours that are in a class of mine feel a lot more comfortable asking questions in the classroom then, or feel a lot more comfortable telling me that they're falling behind or that something is a struggle for them because they know that they can talk to me in any way and it doesn't have to sort of affect their schoolwork. So I think that's important. Wow. And, I'm, you know, of course, the, you know, the, uh, the positive psychology thing, you know, I'm into that, Warren, and uh, I'm hearing some good buzzwords here, right? Because, you know, Marty Seligman, father of positive psychology, is will tell us as well as others that the number one for longevity and high quality of life is relationships. And you brought that in. And now, um, I, I, you know, I really want you to, if you don't mind, because uh, I know you have a kind of a, you have, in addition to your math, you kind of have this positive psychology vibe going on. Can you tell us about your interest in that? Yeah, sure. Um, when I first started teaching, I, I 
noticed pretty quickly that math students in a math class tend to make the same mistakes. Um, and I was curious about that. And, and I always make the joke, if I ever went back to school, I'd go back for psychology to understand what that is. And, and you know, it was a joke at first, but then I was like, no, that's, it's really true. It's not the math that they're not getting. It's something psychological that's just not clicking for them. And it's universal. So, so I started looking into different psychological models that might help me understand the mindset of the student. And I gravitated toward positive psychology because, as you mentioned, I have a positive outlook. I, I, you know, and and it really, I think it was something that really struck me was, uh, to paraphrase, but the idea of we don't have to fix always fix things that are broken. Sometimes it might be helpful to strengthen what is working well, right? So let's let's elevate the strengths instead of fixing all the mistakes. And and in doing so, I realized that that that's probably the approach that I should take in my math class because I'm always fixing their mistakes. Right? And that didn't do anything, it didn't change them from making the mistakes. So maybe if I just elevated their strengths and made them feel more comfortable, then even though they're making the mistakes, they're growing more from that and they're not shutting down. So, Wow, excellent, Warren. I just, this, it's almost like, and we are not scripted. This is this is live action going on. And, and I couldn't, if I did script, I couldn't script Warren better because he's throwing all kinds of positive psychology, you know, stuff around. And if those of you who may not who may not know, Champlain College in general, in general is very strengths based, you know, in our approach. Mm-hmm. And I happen to know uh, just because I've known Warren for for a while, and we're friends. And also, I attended his presentation a couple of weeks ago. Warren has this amazing ability to hone in on student strengths in math. I think with independent projects, you want to tell us about yeah, that? Yeah, so um, so in most of my classes, I do projects, uh, and the projects are scaffolded, so they, they increase uh, in difficulty and throughout the semester as we learn more material. But the, I leave it up to the students to sort of pick their topics and pick how they want to sort of direct those projects, and then I just sort of support them. And I think that that, that idea of focus on something that you know you're good at and something that you know you, you're going to work towards increases their ability to actually do it. So I'm focusing on the strengths that they already have. So instead of giving them a normal example, uh, I'll use a statistics example where you're, you know, whatever, counting marbles in a bag is a classic example. It's like, well, I don't want to give you the example. You come up with something like, well, I want to count the number of people that go through the penal system. And I want to know how to figure out those numbers. It's like, awesome. It's the exact same formula, but now I'm applying it to something that you care about. And you're going to, you're because of that, because of because of your interest and because of your background knowledge and that strength that you bring to the classroom, you are more likely to take this lesson on counting more seriously or not even more seriously, just understand it better. Oh, wow, Warren, you know, where my, where my head is going now, especially that fabulous 56, hmm. that I know many of us who went through, you know, the quote unquote old school math situations have been, it, maybe, it's, maybe it's a little too, too extreme to, to say, you know, scarred, but, you know, it, it was so rigid skill and drill and to hear what you're doing with students i can only imagine you know that actually gets them excited and it sounds like it reaches a neurodiverse maybe a little bit too Mm -hmm. um maybe you can i know you've got some more up your sleeve there that you can explain sort of how you've busted through the, the 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 stigmas and the rigidity of what many people think of math yeah yeah i mean i think there's a couple different ways to add what i'll say flexibility to a math curriculum um and, and one of the things that I do is, is I give students the option to pick a topic that they're interested in and follow that. And I just give them the math skills that they need to answer the questions that they already have in their head, right? They just didn't know how to answer them. Um, so that's giving a little bit of flexibility. It's not everybody doing the same project. 
Um, another thing that I do is uh, with the final exams at the end of the semester, I give students an option um, to either create their own, literally they create their own exam that hits the learning objectives for that. So they know what types of questions they should be able to answer and they create them and then they answer them. Uh, and that's, again, giving them a little bit of freedom, give them a little bit more flexibility in the, I don't need you to answer my questions. I need you to answer questions of a type and you can create those. Uh, but they could also, if they don't, want to take a test and, and feel sort of stifled by that system, they can create an image, like a mind map, where they draw a picture of the topics in the class and they're making the connections that way. I still require an example or two to work through the, the sort of mechanics of the mathematics, but, but seeing that a student understands those connections, I think is enough. I think that's great. Um, and I think that that's sort of a break from the traditional math curriculum where it's like, I need to see that you can do these problems. It's like, I trust that you can do those problems, but I, what I hope is that you see the connection between these ideas. Right. So so a couple of flexibility. So in, in addition to giving them the freedom to pick topics of interest, but also the I, picking a type of assessment that works for them. Uh, the third thing that I'm doing this semester that I'm kind of proud of is uh, I'm bringing in sort of historical primary sources so that students can see the differing perspectives of a mathematical topic as it was being developed. And that sort of gives them this power, I would say, to understand that their way of thinking about it, even though it's different, can still be correct because that's how all of math was formed from differing thoughts being sort of, you know, congealed into something that we then package and hand to someone else. Uh, but being able to apply or to, to follow different paths to a solution, uh, I think is important uh, rather than, like you said, the rigid approach that you're probably used to, whereas this is the way. It's like, well, there isn't the way, right? Lots of people have different ways of doing things. And I think that once students see different ways, they start to become, like I said, empowered to do things their way, as long as they understand that it has to follow some sort of logical rules and get to a reasonable conclusion. Okay, so once again, Warren, this is fantastic. And, and I am trying to break out of my, you know, old school, you know, stuck in the, the workbooks with the little Martians. I remember like in first grade, I'm like, I've like, and also the red pens, because the red pens go nowhere good right? Shaming and terrible and it's wrong. And I heard you just say some things and I, it's hard to even like relate to it at this age in with regarding to math. And I heard you say empowering. And to me, whether it's math or it's anything like empowers empowered, like mm -hmm. that tra travels outside of your classroom. You also talked about uh, young adult agency, which feeds into um, empowered. And then you said different thinking converging into you know different paths. And then lastly, you talked about one of your assignments being a, like a visual map. So I'm thinking you must be able with this sort of new, very cool way of reaching students. You must be reaching different learning styles. Yeah, I mean, that's the hope. Um, in addition to positive psychology, I looked into universal design as a, as a, a construct for you know teaching um, and, and being able to give students options, one, I think is great, but being able to give them the options that then focus on their strengths and give them the opportunity to show that I really do know what I'm doing. I just couldn't present it in the way that you gave me before. Um, I think is, is really helpful for the students. And I think that, that like you said, that agency uh, goes a long way. Um, whether they make mistakes or not, they still feel invested and they still feel that they have power to ask questions and to, to continue further. Um, and just to cycle back to the, the conversation on flexibility, I, I've extended my due dates for assignments as well for that reason. So if a student's having trouble getting the assignment in the way that I have it done, then we could talk about it and we can push the due date back and we can refocus on what works best for them. 
uh, as again, as long as they're understanding the general concepts and getting the connections between them, uh, the assessment, how I, sh how they show me that they know that is flexible is, is really up to them. Yeah. Wow. I just, I can't help thinking, gee, I wish math was like this, you know, back in the day when, you know, when ferns covered the earth and glaciers were shifting, but, um, all that said, uh, since the pandemic, or, you know, we can say it's over, it's almost over, nobody knows if it's over, whatever. I'm wondering, Warren, have you, first of all, have you seen any any differences in, in student processing and output since then? And if so, you know, how, how did you kind of respond to it? Yeah, so uh, when, when the pandemic started and we all had to pivot sort of our t approaches, I, I went with the less is more approach that there are certain things that I absolutely have to get across in a classroom. And there are other things that I just personally want in a classroom. And I thought, you know, I can remove what I want from the classroom and make sure that the students are getting the experience that they need. And so I lightened it a bit. And, and the students' response was pretty um, overwhelmingly like, thank you. You know, like, I, I get that you're doing this and I'm still going to put forth the effort. I just understand that we don't have to do quite as much. Um, so that was one thing that I started to do. And I'm still sort of taking that now because it's, it's amazing how much you realize like, well, that maybe that was just fluff. Maybe that was just my own personal experience, thinking that that was an absolute necessity part of the course. Uh, and so students, um, so, so at the time coming into it, they weren't really sure how to respond to things. And I think that, that they're in a, like separating the classroom from the classwork was difficult at first and understanding that they had to do things on their own. Um, and then so flash forward now, here we are in the classroom again, and I think students are still coming back into it and realizing the amount of work that they need to do outside of the classroom. Uh, but I hope that the, the, all the things that I've talked about earlier sort of give them the chance to sort of get into that on their own pace, right, and in their own time, uh, reasonable amount of time, but still within their own time so that they're not rushing to back into something that they're not ready for. Um, so that's one of the things that I've noticed is, is a little bit of a difference, like students struggling with that outside of class time and the inside of class time. Uh, but as far as like the actual engagement in the classroom is concerned, I think that it, it, ironically the other way, they're more engaged in the classroom. They want to be there. They want to learn. They want something more reminiscent of what they expected to see before. Um, so I think that that, uh, that has changed uh, in the, the classroom, the dynamic of there's a little bit more interest in the material, but there's a little bit less effort outside of the class. Um, it's a weird balance there, um, if that's, that makes sense. Actually, it's funny you say that because my my head just went to there. I've noticed that in my classrooms, like they're it might with my classes too. Warren, they're excited to be there, but there's definitely a fogginess or something with interpreting deadlines and going yeah. through. Yeah. So I'm not sure. You know. I, I don't know if this is appropriate to talk about, but if my efforts of flexibility are helping or hurting that, right? If, if I increase flexibility, does that mean that they're giving themselves more time to do stuff than when they should be working on consolidating that time frame? Um, I will still hang my head on they're happy about it, and that means they're going to be doing more with it. So I will keep my flexibility, and I, I don't think it's a problem. Maybe my research will go beyond that and I'll quantitatively assess it. But um, I think that for now, the acknowledging that the, the students do need their time to decompress and to process, and they do need time to, to get back into the world after being away from social interactions and things like that, that uh, as much as I can do in the classroom to help them, the better. Um, and the much as much as I can give them sort of the, the grace of, of time 
to catch up on other things, I think that's that'll always help them. Oh, definitely, Warren. And when you're um, talking just now about the, the flexibility thing, to me, I actually applaud your honesty for one, and also, you know, uh, being honest and being willing to try something new. Because, of course, in my you know Minecraft positive psychology hat, you bring in flexibility to the classroom. To me, translates into you're bringing resiliency skills yes. into the classroom and compassion. Yeah, and and you know something that you just said um, that I also think I do well in the classroom is I communicate with my students regularly. So if I start to notice that a few, a large group of people is slipping on assignments, I'll bring in the classroom like, hey, what's going on with these assignments? Are they a little bit harder than the other ones? Is it just something happening in your world outside of classroom? And I just I I leave that class time to have that discussion. And I think that students also respond to that. They know that they will not be judged immediately and harshly by any shortcomings, that there's time to converse and to communicate about it. Um, and it's actually, I think, over time, since the beginning of this semester, students are now proactively coming to me saying, look, this is something that's going on in my life, or this is something that I feel is happening in the classroom that is causing me to struggle. Um, and then we have, I won't call them negotiations, but a discussion about what we can do to change the class to make it better for everybody. Uh, so I think that giving them that flexibility and giving them sort of that grace and that leeway elevates their, again, back to the agency. So that when they're in the classroom, they can ask those questions. They can remark about what their struggles are and what they think, you know, might work better for them because, you know, separating that, that the, I hate being an authority figure, right? And so I go into the classroom pretending to be a professor and authority figure um, and pulling it off sometimes. But I want the students like, that shouldn't be how it is. Like, you know as much as I do about certain things. I just have experience in this one area. So please share with me, you know, you know you better than I will. Um, so I just need to open up those lines of communication. But yeah, so I think that um, that leaving, adding the flexibility is helpful. And I think that um, allowing the students to have that voice is helpful as well. Um, which I remembering where the original question was about rigidity and stuff, but yeah, it doesn't matter, Warren, because uh, you're just going every place, you know, great, and it's especially since you know you and I are both fans of all things well-being that you you are role modeling. It happens to be through math, right? right. you know, but really, you are role modeling for them skill sets that will be the gifts to keep on giving the flexibility compassion whether you're saying it or just doing it yeah. which is even better right you kind of you know i care enough about you to have this connection have these social hours to give the flexibility to be available um for you and then the other thing where i just heard like towards the end there is we've done a lot with um trauma discussion here at champlain right and the mm -hmm. pandemic counts that's a trauma and it rewires the brain as you well know and the number, the number one and two, well, kind of one and one, uh, with trauma is voice and choice. And you're doing that. You're doing both, at, right. like simultaneously. They have a voice, and they have a choice. Yeah, yeah, and and I'm I'm glad that you put it that way. Like I never really pieced together those two aspects of of, of what do we call it? like trauma informed teaching. Um, to give them that choice, to give them that voice. Uh, that's, you know, I feel weirdly like I'm tuning my own home, but that's something that I always thought was important. I thought that was something that always, like students are not going to succeed if they don't feel comfortable with the person that they're learning from. So day one of class is connections before content. Um, and, and, and I think that my students get that. 
uh, and you know, I could be, I could be the worst math teacher in the world, but my students will always feel comfortable and ask me questions about what we're learning. So if I fail to teach a lesson well, they'll raise their hand and say, I don't get any of that, Warren. We need to do it again. I'm like, you're absolutely right. Let's do it again. Um, and I appreciate that um, that voice. I appreciate them having that power to say something. And also, like you said, modeling it. When they go out in the world, they're going to have to be these authority. They're going to have to question people. They're going to have to go through the motions of asking the right questions. And, and then I think that we train them for lots of things. And I think that's something that uh, just even getting that experience is, is incredible. No, I couldn't agree more because these skill sets are just, you know, the mindset, the importance of the mindset, all of this is way more important than in our opinions, I think collectively than anything we're teaching. Right. Yeah. Excellent. And on that note, this is Professors Kimberly Quinn and Warren Sides signing off from the gorgeous Champlain College campus in Burlington, Vermont. Have a mindful day. <laughs>